Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon Cast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. Reverend Bob uh, Sirico came to ministry in, uh, in kind of a different way. He was an inquisitive guy. He had a guy who asked a lot of questions and, and uh, wasn't sure, but really wanted to figure out the answers to the different questions he had. And, and, uh, and he admired those who kind of had a more linear perspective. This is, I, I know what I'm doing. God's called me to this. And he really didn't sense that for any time. But, but he always had a sense growing up in church of, of questions. And, and sometimes those questions were uncomfortable. And, and so one day he remembers in particular going to uh, his 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 pastor, and, and he was a younger pastor at the church, and, and he started asking him some of these questions, and they thought the, he thought they were pr- profound questions, and he doesn't actually remember what they were, but uh, it was about 50 years previous to uh, his reflection on this, but at, at some point as he pelted the, the young pastor with these questions, uh, the pastor turned to him and says, look, I'm a busy man, and your questions tell me that you are much too religious. You don't want to become a fanatic, do you? I suggest rather than going into these kind of matters, you go home and read Huckleberry Finn or something like that. <laughs> As he writes, continues, uh, for the life of me, I could not understand what Huckleberry Finn had to do with anything. <laughs> but I knew when my concerns were being dismissed. Uh, I did read Huckleberry Finn, and of late I've come to a deeper understanding of what that encounter with the priest meant in my life. And here's some of the conclusions he drew from it. The first is that, well, that some advisors and mentors do not understand that people's burning desire to have great dreams of meaning and significance in their lives may not match up to their, with their ability to formulate their questions. <laughs> Very often people ask profound questions on, under the guise of confusion, imprecision, and in my case, precociousness. The second thing I've come to understand is that it is very rare that one single answer provides the whole key to the puzzle we are looking to solve. And finally, it may be very well that the case that, it may very well be the case that advice we are given that is intended to dismiss us or that fails to appreciate a striving for a heroic ideal may yet contain some valuable gem. After all, didn't Huck's untutored brain formulate some tough questions about his racist society and lead to a radical answer? Uh, As I was reflecting on on Reverend Sirico's uh, early encounter, we we can imagine uh, the scenario, though, and and, and probably come up with a a fairly negative assessment of this young pastor who couldn't be bothered with this and really was on some level discouraging uh, the faith in this young man. Uh, However, one of the things that Sirico thinks of is that, you know, that uh, told me some things. Uh, it told me some things about him and maybe where he was at, but also about myself and, and what I was trying to accomplish with the questions that, that in dismissing them and saying that uh, they're a little bit beyond me and, and maybe a little bit too religious, that maybe the things that I was pursuing, I needed to recess how I was, re- assess how I go, went about them. As he continued to live his life, he did pursue, obviously, ministry and living for ministry. And as he thought about 
the dismissiveness and, and the things to find faith in, he found that the Lord sometimes leads us down roads that are, well, a little bit different than we anticipated. And, and isn't that the case for us a lot of times? As we live this life, what's going on right now? Why am I living this moment and why am I here in this place in this moment? And uh, what, is, what is God doing? And what does this have to do with anything else that's coming up? We have been looking at the Acts of the Apostles here over these last uh, months of the summer, and, and we've been seeing the emergence of these followers of Jesus after the departure of Jesus himself, having been raised from the dead as we remember on Easter, and having spent time with them for about 40 days or 50 days, and then ascending into heaven before them. And as they discovered life and ministry and telling people what they saw as witnesses, they were coming into all kinds of circumstances in their life that were, well, a little curious. <laughs> maybe not necessarily linear. This is maybe not the path they thought they were going on, and yet God uses it anyways. Last week we looked in the first part of chapter 5 where Ananias and Sapphira, wanting on some level to be noted for being able to give great big gifts to the church, are identified as well as deceiving people as well and, and meeting a tragic end, which is, again, disorienting. What's going on here? But in the aftermath of that, God's still working within this community of faith and, and, and telling people and miracles happening and, and, and many, many people coming to faith in Jesus as they continue to testify. Well, Peter and John had previously been arrested and told, don't talk about this guy anymore. <laughs> well, they didn't do that. And now as they continue to bring the message, they continue to get the attention of religious authorities who don't want anything to do with this message about Jesus. If you have your Bibles, we are in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 17. And the story continues on. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Uh, this word jealousy uh, can mean envy, can mean zeal, can also mean righteous indignation. That as they looked at them, they were, well, they're pretty passionate, passionate about what their role was in society. They were to keep the faith pure. They were to help people to see God and, and who he was. And, and so they were looking at the disciples not as a great new revelation, but as, well, as dangerous distractions for people. And so as they continued to speak about this one that they certainly had a hand in killing because, again, he was dangerous and, and wrong in their minds, this message is going forth. And so... Their righteous indignation is what they felt. These guys are trouble. And so verse 18, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, 
We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, no one was found inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin in order that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Oh. I, I, as I read this story, I, I'm instructed by so many things. I mean, you can sense the drama and the tensions that there, the, the, the anger. And, and again, if we step into the mindset of the, the elders there, the, the, the leaders of the, the faith community, the, the, the high priest and all that, uh, you, can, you can identify on some level with their frustration. They keep telling these guys, stop doing what you're doing. It's not right but they won't listen to them. They keep doing it anyways. And so now the, the teaching goes on and on. There's many people, that, there's miracles that are happening and, and all kinds of people are, are coming to embrace this new idea. And so they have them imprisoned and put in the public jail and instead of battling them on spiritual levels, they choose some political ways to, to just get them out, just take them away and let's address this tomorrow. And and so that's what they do. They're, they're beyond being able to reason with these guys. How are we going to handle this? In the meantime, they're in jail. Again, the apostles, we've seen this happen before in the book of Acts. And, and uh, they've been released before. But now, in the middle of the night, an angel comes and releases them 
And he doesn't just say, okay, you're free to go, but continue doing it. Continue to tell the people about this life. This life. What an interesting way to put it, isn't it? Tell, teach the people of this life. It gives an indicator to us what, what really is going on here. That it's not just a belief, it's not just a philosophy, it's just not ideas, but it's something that impacts everything that we do. This is the life that they are being, they are being encouraged and directed to live in. It is something how we, we live and breathe and act in each of our days. This is more than just part-time stuff. They're invited into a life. And as they continue on, the angel, it's pretty clear what he wants them to do. This isn't just a get-out-of-jail card. It is, you're out of jail, continue. And, And it's pretty specific, isn't it? Go to the temple courts and tell and teach the people about this life. And so they do. If you were told by an angel to, to do something specific, probably you would do that. It's like, all right, that's, that's pretty clear. Sometimes we're looking for God's will in our life and wondering, what is it? What do you want me to do today? And, and, uh, and we would long for some angel that says, all right, today this is what I want you to do. And that would, that would, that would make things simple for us. Well, it was pretty simple for them that day. And yet it also becomes a little complicated because... They're not actually hiding, right? They're, they're, they're wanted men, and they've just escaped from the jail, and, and someone's going to notice eventually, right? And so if, if you escape from jail, you don't hang out right in the middle of town. You maybe skip town and aren't discovered, but that's not their task. And so the Sanhedrin comes together, the, the chief priests and the leaders, and they bring all of the elders of Israel together. And, and can you imagine them? I mean, maybe in a room like this, and it's like, all right, all right, we, we, we arrested them, and now let's get down to the bottom of this. And so we'll just wait for them to come in. And, and uh, you know, they're, they're waiting, and, you know, it takes a little time for the, the officers to go get them, and it's taking time, and it's taking time, and finally they come back. It's like, uh... Uh, sirs, <laughs> uh, they weren't there. I mean, everything was as it's supposed to be, but they, they weren't there. And it's like, what? <laughs> Who let them out? It's like, well, nobody. Obviously, someone let them out. And then in comes some other guy. Said, hey, those guys, they're out in the temple courts. They're teaching people. People are listening. They're still telling about Jesus. And, and, uh, and they're talking about this life. Well, so they go summon them again. And, and not, they're not going to bring them by force. It's not going to send the whole army out there. And I mean, in my mind, I mean, they're, they're still the authorities, right? And, and the, the apostles are nice Jewish boys. And so they still have respect for their religious authorities. And, and in my mind, it, it, it takes me back to, to maybe uh, school times and, and one of the teachers or the deans. And, and do you know the two-finger beckon? It's the two-finger beckon. It's not a good beckon. Come here. Come with me. We're going to have a talk. And so 
but they come along willingly. Uh, the, the, the officers and everyone are concerned about the, how the crowd, because the crowd seems to be eating this up, because, again, so many amazing things have happened. In chapter 4, this guy gets healed for a cripple his whole life, and people were rejoicing about that, and, and more and more people were coming, and, and they just wanted even to, the shadow of Peter to, to fall on them as he walked by, because they saw power being demonstrated in these guys, and, and so... Uh, Come with us. And they came, and, and, and the interrogation begins. What are you doing? Uh, they understand they're unschooled guys. They haven't gone through the training uh, to, to, to learn about the law that they have. They would have learned it certainly growing up in their synagogues, but what are you doing? Where are the authorities? We have told you what to do and how to think. You're doing this anyways. And you, and you seem to, to want, trying to lay this man's blood on us. Well, how it, it's not on their fault anyways. If, if, we, if we look at the story, this is still Annas and Caiaphas, who we see in the Gospels, are responsible for sending Jesus to be crucified. But uh, they're maybe hiding a little bit of their responsibility. But uh, they're in this mode of wanting just to squash it. And Peter and the apostles reply, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> uh, listen to man or listen to what God says. So we've got to listen to God. And, and then they begin to, to tell about the whole story again. Uh, they begin to tell what Jesus, because God raised this Jesus up, whom you killed, and, and has made him the Savior He's made him prince and savior or, or lord and savior. And he has come for you. Uh, verse 29, we must obey God. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross or on a tree. And God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We're witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. This is, this is in their face, isn't it? Uh, this is not what they want to hear. And, and sometimes you think if you're in trouble, if you're facing the authorities, maybe just say what they want to hear. Don't provoke them. Uh, don't make it worse. But they figure, what, what are we supposed to do? And uh, they're engaging in what we call today civil disobedience, right? They're told this is what you must do or must not do, and they're doing it anyways because they feel compelled. They have to do that. And, and for them, well, the circumstances of their civil disobedience are, are pretty clear. An angel told them to do that. It's no mystery of what they should do at that point. Sometimes as, as we look at it in, in, in our world and in culture, there's many people who feel like, like engaging in civil, civil disobedience is, is exceptionally important things to do. And we've seen that in our histories. Uh, when issues like, like uh, uh, racism and, and, uh, and, and other moral choices that are putting, put, being put out there, people stand and say, no, this is wrong, and, and I don't care if you tell us we can't say it's wrong. We still must, are compelled to do that. And, and some people feel compelled to do those things and others not, but for the disciples, it was pretty clear, yeah, we want you to do this. And so they come before the Sanhedrin, 
And they're not looking for a way to get out of this, are they? They're not trying to make things smooth, but they continue to tell the story. Why? Because they're witnesses. They have seen Jesus. That's been an essential point all through the book of Acts, that that they're witnesses of Jesus. Jesus calls them to be his witnesses. And when they go to replace Judas among the 12, because Judas was no longer there and they only had 11 left and they needed to replace one, the person they replaced them with had to have seen Jesus from his baptism all the way to the time that he ascended into heaven. They had, they had to have seen it. It had to be this firsthand knowledge. And we have their testimony as we saw this happen. And we don't care what you do. We have to tell about what we have seen. Well, that doesn't go over well. <laughs> uh, so much so that the leadership is bent on killing them. And uh, very likely to do so un- until Gamaliel stands up and gives them a, at least a different perspective, a perspective that many of the Pharisees would have held in that day is that, you know, if something's of God, then, then, then it will be good and, and going. But if it's not, then it'll, it'll, it lasts any energy. So, so don't get yourself so exercised about it and, and get yourself possibly on the wrong side of God in this. And eventually they do. They let him go. But not after they flog them. You, maybe you notice the word flog there. It's just one word. It's in the midst of a sentence of uh, lots of sentences. And, and we can just strike on and go forward and not think about this flogging. But they got flogged. A flog, a whip. How, have you ever been flogged? I've never been flogged. I, I've gotten the belt a couple times. But, but flogging, I mean, that's, that's, that's on your back and... And uh, if it was Romans, and likely maybe not have been that, but the Romans on, on their, their whips, they would put stones or pieces of metal and, and, and it would hit and it would, it would break skin and, and you could die because of too many strikes with flogging. And, and they, they went through that. That happened to them. And, and for, for lots of us, we think, if we do God's will, if we do what God says us to do, well, then we will be blessed. We will, it's going to be great. And you have this sense that that's their attitude, even though they just got flogged. For us, I think my first reaction would be, I just got flogged. I need to question Maybe what I'm doing is not okay because I just got flogged. Lord, if this is what you wanted, then why did I just get flogged? And yet the, the disciples' perspective on this is we have been counted worthy of suffering for the name because they didn't miss this fact of what Jesus had gone through as well. That Jesus, when he told people about God's kingdom and that there was a way for them to come and to know him, to repent and believe, they killed him brutally. 
There was no flogging that you were going to walk away from that Jesus endured, and they would have seen that from a distance as well, and they would have seen him on that cross, on that tree. And they said, we're counted worthy of suffering for his name, and we will do this no matter what. And so after they're told, do not speak any longer in this name, what do they do? They keep on speaking of this name. I think for us, as we, as we consider uh, the choice that they make and, and, and the, the tenets of this story, uh, what do we do in our own interactions with this life? Because as they, they're walking joyfully with God no matter what, is this something that, that we do? Or do we find ourselves when, when difficult things come and say, this is no good. It's time to walk away from this. It's, an, it's surely a temptation, isn't it? It's something the church faces again and again as it endured persecution because people didn't want to hear this message. They didn't want to hear truth. And many were killed for it. We are, our Sunday school class today, they, we were looking at uh, history that was happening in the 1400s. as a church history made easy. And uh, one of the stories is about John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe, who, who, who wanted people to be able to to look at the scriptures and, and see what God said to them and, and was translating it into their particular language. For him, it was English so that they could, they could read it for themselves because on some level, as Scott made the point, is uh, he agreed with the, the religious authorities that only the church could determine and, and understand what the scripture said. But for him, the church was all encompassed, all who confessed faith in Jesus Christ. And so all could come and look at it. And so it was good for them to hear it and, and read it in their own language. That was a good thing. And, and that this threat becomes so much that one of his later followers, John Huss, is killed because he wants people to be able to interact with the scriptures themselves. They killed John Huss, and John Wycliffe died a natural death, but they said, you know what? This is, this is kind of his fault. So they dug his bones up, and they burned them too. Unthinkable, isn't it? And yet, when we take our eyes off of God's working within our midst what he's doing in and around us. Uh, this calling that we have from Jesus to tell people about this life. When we become more about protecting what we have and what we've accomplished and, and what we've set up, uh, then we moved from, from the church of Jesus being this movement, working in people's lives to an institution, and we're working to preserve what we have. But that's not ever what it's been. And certainly we organize to help things happen, but it's all about God's continue working in people's lives and drawing him to himself, 
person to person, sharing our message well as witnesses. Because each of us who've come to faith in Jesus, we have our own story of how we've discovered who God is. How we've discovered in the, in the message of the gospel of the good news. Uh, incidentally, in this passage here is the first time the message of Jesus is described as the good news. Uh, evangelism. This is the gospel. This is the message. This is, this is something. And so what do we do with this life that we've been given? How do we live it? And how do we speak it? Can we approach this joyfully, no matter what? Each of you undoubtedly has gone through the rough times in the faith as well as the joyous times. Oftentimes when we come to faith, uh, it's awesome to discover that God loves me. And again, we think, how could it ever be bad again? And then it gets bad again. And not necessarily because we messed up, but because people don't want to hear it pretty strongly. But can we continue on joyfully no matter what, knowing that God is working even in the hard, difficult things. Yeah, the disciples had a miraculous escape from jail, but it doesn't always happen that way. As the story goes on, Paul languishes in jail for about two years. He doesn't escape. Eventually, he's killed. Peter is eventually killed. Each of the disciples, except John, is killed. And even he, according to Fox's Book of Martyrs, was, was taught and tossed into a boiling vat of oil and survived. This is not a cakewalk, but it's still filled with joy because we identify with the name, and that name is Jesus. Will you walk faithfully and joyfully no matter what? I don't know what you're going through today. Maybe your things are just cooking and things are great and wonderful. You're having great contacts with people. Maybe you're having some struggles. Uh, God knows where you're at. And while your circumstance might be different from someone else's, his call still is. Follow me and teach people this life as you've discovered it because you are witnesses. Let's stand for closing prayer. Lord, you've... Uh, thank you for these, these stories which are, are on some levels all over the place. Miraculous escapes and then re, re-imprisonments. Uh, times of great success and people coming to faith and times of opposition. And, and in all this, your spirit is working. 
And Lord, help us to grasp hold of your truth and this life that you've given us and to walk by your spirit no matter what we're doing. Give us boldness in times that we need to, to speak well and strongly, to always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have, but to do that with gentleness and humility because this is your story as it interacts with our story, as it interacts with the song and the melody that you've given us to sing. May we tell it with joy and boldness and faith. Guide us these days. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. God bless you. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.